Welcome to the Fit for Life podcast, the show where we learn a bit more about being happy in the body we have, taking it one day at a time, one step at a time. I'm James, and this is Fit for Life. So today I have a special guest with me. Her name is Elisa Cresto. I've known her for quite some time. We've grown up together. She's a great and amazing person, and I just wanted to interview her because she has some amazing and interesting opinions on some topics that I'd like to cover today. Elisa, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. So I just want to learn a little bit more about you. Uh, A lot of the people who are going to be listening to this may not know who you are or your background. So can you tell me a little bit more about your education and your career? Sure. I have a bachelor's degree. I went to Northwest Nazarene University in Idaho. I was a track and cross-country scholarship athlete there. And then, so yeah, basically I did my four years there. Um, Then I took it ended up being two years off. My plan was to take one year off, but it ended up being two years off in between that. And then I started my doctorate of physical therapy that had been like my lifelong goal, did all my classes. My undergrad is in pre-physical therapy. So very focused on physical therapy. Um, and then I started my doctorate and about two months in, I started having, um, so they're not technically seizures, but they thought they were seizures at the time. So I ended up having to drop out just because I had missed so much class and because they just didn't really know exactly what they were dealing with. So basically it started as like an extended medical leave and then I just ended up dropping out. Um, So that was rough because not only did I kind of lose this lifelong goal that I had had, um, but I also got this new non-diagnosis of something. Um, So that was a little rough, but I got a job as a started as kind of like a bookkeeper organizer person. Um, so been doing that for about eight years, I work full, full time from home. And then I also do, uh, yoga and bar. I am an instructor for both yoga and bar classes at my local gym. And just to clarify, bar is not, um, alcohol, but, um, like, correct. Like B-A-R-R-E. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yoga, most people are probably somewhat familiar with what yoga is um yes. a lot of stretching uh, breathing exercises I, I, and I, i'm not trying to say this at all to poke fun i actually really mm-hmm. like yoga um right but as far as bar that's probably less known uh, can you tell me a yes. little bit more about what like a typical session of bar would look like or what the goal is sure yeah of course so um i also do like to say so most people's idea of yoga is stretching and breathing, which is great. A lot of yoga is that. Uh, The type that I teach specifically is actually not that. It is still a lot of stretching and we do focus on the breath, but it is a lot more about body movement and body functionality in that movement. So I just like to preface that because a lot of people think yoga is just stretching and it's really not. No, (laughs) and that's totally fair. Again, that's why I didn't want to sound like I was making fun. No, well, that's what most people think. And mm-hmm. honestly, the, the the excuse that I hear the most often for yoga, for people not wanting to do it, is because they're not flexible. And I was like, well, that's kind of the purpose. <laughs> when I started doing yoga, I couldn't do half of the poses that I can do now. And still, I have a ways to go. I'm definitely not, I would not consider myself like an extremely flexible person mm-hmm. compared to a lot of other like yoga specific people. But getting back to the original question, bar. So bar is a... Actually, oh, to yes, hop in, because uh, before you jump yeah. into that, I, I just want to say, yes. saying you don't want to do yoga because you're not flexible <laughs> is yes. the same as like, I don't want to play baseball because I'm not good at hitting the ball. Or It's, it's I, pretty, yeah. It's pretty. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you're going to start 
you're going to be sucky when you start at anything. Might as well suck and get better at it. Exactly. Yes. No, I, I always, I always think that that's, I, I get it. Cause it is, it is something that most people are a little bit nervous about. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want to like pull something obviously, which makes sense, but they also just don't want to look silly, which is, that's totally normal. Like as human beings, we're taught that we need to look good all the time. And especially females, I know males too, but especially females, we get the pressure to look good all the time. And it just, it doesn't translate well to starting something new and trying something and failing at it because you're going to fail at it before you get better at it. Right. <laughs> so we'll see if they included yes. a bar and you could drink that would like right? ease the tensions and maybe you'd feel so better. they do do that i teach yoga and wine <laughs> oh, classes all the time I, agree. Uh, I mean you don't drink while you do it you drink oh, okay. afterwards <laughs> just imagine but we do like, have handstands and drinking no yeah those are not no i i definitely would not recommend good okay <laughs> but yes um so yeah bar is actually a combination of yoga pilates and ballet so it's kind of taking kind of the best pieces from each one and then combining them. So bar is a combination of it's flexibility training. So there is that it's also just training. So we have our, like our mega muscles, right? Our quad muscles, our gluteus muscles, our hamstring muscles, biceps, triceps, all those big muscle groups that people like know the names of and mm-hmm. know where they're located versus what we call like your micro muscles. So it's all the like, tiny connector pieces. And I mean, a bunch of our bigger muscles are made up of them anyways, but not many people know that. So, (laughs) um, it's all the teeny tiny stabilizer muscles that are around your joint spaces that are really getting a a good workout during a bar class. Because a lot of what bar is, is it's pretty small repetitive movements. So you're kind of, you're kind of locking in on this one joint space or on this one muscle group, and you're just kind of getting into it. So it works on those big muscle groups still, obviously, but it also kind of starts to access these smaller muscle groups that we don't necessarily always get when we're, you know, working hard at the gym and just doing squats and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect. And then, so the style that I teach is a little bit quicker paced. So some bar classes are more ballet style. So there is a little bit more of a dance moment going on. I don't necessarily teach that way. My bar classes are set to a BPM. And so it's a little bit more aerobic, a little bit kind of more high intensity, but it's still very low impact. It's high intensity in the sense that our heart rates get a little bit higher. Okay. Um, so you're still going to get some good fat burning moments. You're going to get some good like aerobic capacity building moments, but it's all super low impact. So it's really good for people who have joint problems or who are, you know, worried about lifting any weights because it's all... We use very light weights in bar and we'll use like resistance bands, stuff like that, but nothing crazy. You're not going to go like way over your body weight with anything. So it's a really nice, like pretty gentle workout, but you get a really good workout. Do you have like a Spotify playlist or anything that you use during your classes or uh, is Definitely, it just? Definitely, yeah. Okay, cool. And I actually have multiple. So some of mine, before I really like locked in what BPM I specifically like to teach mm-hmm. at um a lot of my earlier bar playlists are kind of just upbeat music in general okay now that i've kind of figured out what beat i like i've changed most of my playlists over to be true like 130 bpms so pretty much all of my classes now like when i'm looking to build a new playlist that's what i'll just i'll type in 130 bpm because spotify actually has a bunch of you know 
pre-made playlists that you can search for by B- by BPMs. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll just kind of pick and choose songs off of those and put them in a new list and go from there. So as far as like um, gender, is this it, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be open to anyone. But do you typically have mm-hmm. uh, both men, and women, the full spectrum people coming in wanting to try this out? Or do you typically see it's 99 percent female so bar, yeah, bar in particular is definitely um, more female okay. uh, dominated, but I do have a handful of males who they come specifically to get the stabilizer muscles. And a Smart. lot of the males that come in are lifters from the gyms is they're usually coming in because, you know, it's, it's their off day from heavy lifting and they want to get something. They maybe want to get a little bit of aerobic activity, but they don't necessarily want to go for a run or yeah take a spin class or something. So they, that's usually the people who we see. And then we do have a handful of guys who just come because they like it. It's a good workout. And, you know, (laughs) I think a lot of men, especially for specifically bar, they do think that it's like dancey and it's really, some of them are, I will say, you know, some of the bar classes that you could walk into, they could be dancey. Um, But I think most bar classes, especially on the West coast where ballet isn't really like a super big thing here. Mm-hmm. They're a little less dancing and a little bit more kind of workouty. If that makes sense. No, it, it does. And um, it's funny. You mentioned it, that it's uh, guys coming in for uh, weightlifting or working on stabilizers. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was Arnold Schwarzenegger who actually included uh, ballet in his uh, yes, training routine. He did. Because mm-hmm. it, it gave him better balance. It gave him better uh, control over those smaller muscles. And it just gave him better. Yep. Uh, I said balance, but not just balance like uh, walking in a straight line, but just better body balance. So it's yes. definitely yeah, it definitely does. an option. I, I guess what what drew you to yoga and bar? So a little bit different journeys for each one. Mm-hmm. For yoga, I was really struggling with anxiety and I basically started yoga right after I had to drop out of grad school. Okay. Um, my doctor actually, actually suggested it to me. Uh, she thought it might be a good kind of natural remedy to trying to kind of calm my body down when I was starting to have like an anxiety attack or something. Cause yoga, because of the focus on breathing specifically teaches you how to really connect with your body on a deeper level. You know, most of the stuff that we do with our bodies is subconscious. Mm-hmm. We don't think about breathing. We don't think about walking. We don't really even think about like how we lift things unless you're actually like, you know, lifting weights or something. We just don't think about our bodies very often. And unfortunately mm-hmm. that creates this pretty big gap between how much we actually understand about our bodies. And so a lot of times I've seen it with a lot of people now, they come because their doctors are actually suggesting it because of anxiety or because of depression, stuff like that. Um, So yoga, I actually started on a doctor's recommendation um, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I was able to get off of some pretty like heavy anti-anxiety meds as a result. I really believe it was because I was better in tune with my body and I actually was taking time kind of each day to check in with it versus Mm -hmm. just trying to force it to do stuff. Um, So that was yoga. And then bar, a little bit different. That one, I kind of 
got into on accident almost. <laughs> I really had no idea what it was. One of my friends um, owned a yoga and bar studio and she really needed more teachers. And so I was like, well, I can come teach yoga for you, but I don't, I don't even know what bar is. Like I've never, like I've heard of it, but I've never taken a class or anything. And so she was like, well, we have a certification class coming up in a couple weeks. You could do that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to spend the money on a certification if I don't even know if I like it. Mm-hmm. So I went and took a class and fell in love pretty immediately because it really is, it's just fun. It's, it's upbeat. It's, it's passes really quickly. You don't realize that you've been in there for an hour. It's just, it's one of those workouts where you don't feel like you've been working out for a full hour. You're like, Oh, it's done already. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, and it was, it was just, it tapped into, a, I think a different side of my personality, like yoga definitely calms me down. Um, but that's not necessarily like who I am base level. I'm definitely a little bit more high strung and more excitable. And so bar, I think kind of tapped into that side where it was, it kind of let me be a little bit more, you know, movement, you got to move faster, you got to move a little bit more, you know, big, a lot of yoga movements are pretty small and controlled bar, some of them are really big movements, some of them are really small movements. So it was a little bit more variety, I felt like, at least the style that I take, I once again, I don't, I don't teach the ballet style, I've never taken a ballet style one. So I Mm -hmm. can't speak to those ones. But um, but yeah, those are kind of how I got into it. I've been teaching yoga for um eight years and bar for I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it was actually it's actually I think for five because I just saw I I just had like my five year in August in like earlier this month so so I want to go back to uh you're talking about anxiety and yes you and I actually had a conversation a few weeks ago about anxiety Mm -hmm. in preparation for this conversation I had shared some of my own experiences that were more recent and Uh, I was learning that I was actually experiencing anxiety uh, leading up to my heart surgery, which at the time Mm -hmm. of this recording is after the heart surgery. I wanted to talk more about that because I think that's important for a lot of people who maybe aren't familiar with what that means or the difference between panic and anxiety attacks. But I want to hear your side of it and kind of hear a little bit more about uh, what that means to you, what that felt like, how you cope, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So I'll preface it by saying I am not a medical professional, so please don't take any of my (laughs) advice as as law. What has worked for me has worked for me. So no one listening can sue her. Yes, (laughs) yes. Please don't come after me or my family. (laughs) No, it's fine. But yes, please, if you're experiencing anxiety or depression, I mean, the number one thing I usually say is seek help, whether Mm -hmm. it's a a, you know, a doctor, doctor, or a doctor of psychology, or just a therapist, or, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different avenues you can take. Um, but if it's gotten to the point where you really feel like you're kind of out of control with it, go see someone, because I know a lot of people think, oh, I'm just stressed, or I'm just feeling anxious because I have this deadline at work, or because my husband was, you know, not nice to me today or whatever. Like a lot of people downplay their own anxiety, um, for a really long time. And unfortunately, sometimes that leads to it becoming like a pretty big deal eventually. Um, so I always tell people like the earlier you can start talking to someone that's just giving you more time to, to handle it. Um, so mine kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, it was pretty abrupt and it was very, um, 
is very scary. Mine look like seizures. They just aren't seizures. So mine typically, before they get to that point, is what I would call like an anxiety attack. Once mine kind of cross that threshold, it becomes more of a physical thing. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I think is kind of where the anxiety actually is triggering it in some instances. Uh, so a lot of times I'll notice my breathing is either becoming really, really shallow and really, really slow or hyperventilation. And then the other thing that usually is a sign for me that something is happening is when my vision kind of starts to, it usually for me, it usually becomes like unfocused. Like if I'm trying to focus on something, I can't focus on it. Sometimes you get spotty, but that's actually pretty rare for me. Um, Usually it's just kind of this unfocused, like I know what I'm looking at, but I can't define the lines of it. So a lot of times what happens if I catch it early enough, so if I notice, okay, my breathing is going really shallow or, you know, I'm starting to just feel sometimes it's the heartbeat. If my heart starts to race, sometimes that happens. There's a lot of these little things that because I've dealt with it for so long, I kind of know what my own physical triggers are. And that is one thing that I would say, if you can start to figure that out for yourself, that's a really good first step because then you can stop it from progressing. So I always try to pay really close attention to when I start to notice those little triggers and then I'll start to take steps. Um, So I call it my toolbox. A lot of therapists call it your toolbox. Um, It's this, you know, just set of steps that you have that, you know, have worked for you in the past, or maybe, you know, it's stuff that you want to try to see if it will help kind of take you out of that mental headspace or take you out of that physical space too. So a lot of mine involve something physical. So it's usually like touching something or squeezing something or just even getting up. If I'm sitting down, sometimes just getting up, just making the blood flow a little bit differently for me is usually a pretty good first step. If it still is kind of progressing past that, a lot of times I'll move on to like, if it's especially if I'm hyperventilating or shallow breathing, I'll use some breathing exercises that I have in that toolbox. Um, a lot of the breathing exercises are, you know, the ones I use, are, I take from yoga. So a lot of it is you inhale, you know, for the count of four, hold at the top for a count of one and then exhale for a count of four. Um, there's ones where you like plug one nostril, breathe in through the other one and then exhale through the other one. So there's lots of breathing techniques. Those are the two that work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones are, I think it's, it's a pretty well-known one. It's going for your five senses. So you pick one thing you can see, one thing you can touch, one thing you can smell, one thing you can taste. So it's, it's going through those. So basically it's trying to focus your brain on something that is not a hard thing to focus on. So you say, that's a sock. I can taste peanut butter because I just had a peanut butter sandwich. I can smell that my candle is still burning. I can feel my feet on the carpet. So it's very simple things, but it's kind of like usually grounding technique a little bit. It is. Yes. Yeah. So grounding techniques. um, A lot of people like they'll do tapping, which is also grounding technique. You tap on your meridians. Um, To be fair, I think a lot of like things that work for people are kind of just things that you make work for yourself. And this is actually true. There's still really not a ton of science behind anxiety (laughs) because it's just, it's so different for each person. There's really not a good way to, to actually study it because for most people who have it, it's pretty random. Um, You don't necessarily know when you're going to have a rough anxiety day. You don't necessarily know what your triggers are. So, you know, you could be walking your dog and all of a sudden you start feeling super panicked and super freaked out because you saw 
a car or it could be, you know, something or heard a word yelled across the street or something like that. There's just not much that you can predict with it. So that's what those like grounding techniques or, you know, you're deciding, okay, I'm going to stand up. And just that action of you deciding to do that, it kind of breaks up that thought process a little bit. Um, so then once, if I do for some reason cross the threshold before, you know, if none of my tools are working, for some reason, you know, my body's just carrying me past the threshold. Once I get past a certain point, there's very little that, that I can do. Um, so typically that's when my husband has to kind of jump in and, and help me out. So the tools for when that happens, I usually the first one that we try is uh, essential oils. So kind of like smelling salts. Uh, you want to get one that's pretty strong that you're going to kind of, it's going to punch through that brain <laughs> brain layer mm -hmm. uh, and kind of wake you up a little bit. Um, the other things that work for me, unfortunately, are pain. So a lot of times, you know, he'll do a sternal rub or there's the lanulas, which are like the white things at the bottom of your fingers where they meet the, the bone. There's a ton of nerve endings at the tips of your fingers. So basically you take a pen and you push down. Oh, okay. <laughs> so okay. very painful. Um, and then kind of the last resort before we use, I do have emergency meds as well, but last resort before we use those is a, like an ice pack to the face. So you just lay it on top of my face. But basically what that does, that resets your vagus nerve. And so okay. that is actually scientifically proven. <laughs> okay. And that the vagus nerve is like the direct thing from your face to your brain, basically. So it kind of just, it acts as like a wake up call. And you're like, oh, okay, this is happening. Um, and then I have emergency meds. So if mm -hmm. none of those things have worked, which very rarely has that happened. But if none of those things work, then I also have an emergency med. I also take a daily anti-anxiety pill. I, it's a much lower dose than I used to have to be on. So that's a win in my book. Um, but I always tell people, I think there's a really big stigma around medication, especially for anxiety and depression. And that makes me sad and angry at the same time. Because a lot of times, you know, you're just needing a little bit of help. And you, if you're working your hardest at building your toolbox, a lot of times you just need your brain to have enough space to actually think through what works for you. Yeah. And unfortunately, if your brain is just hyping itself out on anxiety and depression the whole time, it literally doesn't have the space and the bandwidth to process what you need it to process. And so that's how I try to explain medication is it's like, okay, imagine you have this fire hydrant. It's just gushing out water, right? You can take, you know, a tiny little wing nut and go try to screw it on, but that's not really going to do anything. So you're, you know, you're trying to fix the problem and you're using, you know, maybe the right tool, but it's not the right shape. It's not the right size. So you have to give that fire hydrant a closure, which to me, if you have this gushing brain full of anxiety, you got to give it something to make it less gushy. And then mm -hmm. you can start working on, okay, now where does this wing not fit? Where can I apply it that it'll help and not, you know, not create this gushing <laughs> reality that it was. So that's, I always, whenever I talk to people about it, I always try to say that like medication is not bad. It also has gotten a lot better. So I, my first medication was 2009 and it was terrible. I had really bad experiences. Um, I ended up kind of feeling like a zombie and that's why I was so grateful when I was able to get off of it for the most part with yoga. Um, mm -hmm. And then I had a couple of, 
pretty bad anxiety attacks last year um, and got back on because I was like, nope, I recognize that this is past my brain's capacity to deal with right now. So I'm going to get back on this. And they have vastly improved the medications. They're also available in a lot more dosages now. Um, yeah. 10, 10 years ago, they were available in 10, 25, and 50, and you had to choose like that. <laughs> there was nothing in between. So it's a lot more accessible. I think it's a lot more talked about now, which is great. I'm all for that. Um, a lot of doctors have a little bit more knowledge about it now um, because it is more talked about. So for people who are trying to figure out what to do, I always say, you know, go see someone, whether it's a physician or a therapist, and, and then maybe help yourself by having someone help you figure out the next steps instead of you trying to figure them out by yourself. And if I can jump in, um, something you actually helped me with, because for me, I, I had no idea what a panic attack or an anxiety attack felt like. I had no, mm -hmm. no um, frame of reference to look at it and say, right. oh, this is what's happening to me. And it had been happening right. for months. And sometimes yep. it was just this little itty bitty explosion where I'd just be, I'd feel irritable for no reason. Or I described it as like mm -hmm. uh, the peripheral of my senses was this static noise and I couldn't sort through what was going on around me. And I just start to like uh, snowball to the point where mm -hmm. yep. uh, it would start to turn into this like hyperventilating, like what's wrong with me. Um, it got worse when mm -hmm. I found out I needed the heart surgery uh, because then it was right. this added stressor of, um, I, I think I shared this with you. If I didn't, this is news. But I had one <laughs> night where I was basically laying in bed and I had this like cyclical, um, it went from my heart rate won't go down. My mm. heart could explode at any time. My heart rate won't go down. Yeah. My my heart could explode any time. And it just kept going. And I basically became yep. paralyzed for hours this one particular night. And um, it was terrifying. And I basically yeah. just was stuck in this position until my wife mm -hmm. woke up and heard me like <laughs> having this right. super labored yeah. breathing. And then she kind yep. of, you know, shook me out of it. And um talking about that with you actually kind of opened my eyes to maybe this is something I need to look at. Uh, Post-surgery, mm -hmm. they actually gave me some anti-anxiety meds. I don't remember which. Yeah. I felt great, but I don't remember which. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. But it was my first time getting any kind of uh, psychological relief or uh, pharmaceutical relief, I guess is a better term. Right. And yes. mm -hmm. yeah. it, it really did just kind of feel like it gave me just enough relief that I could start to take over and actually take steps to get better control. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly why I will always say medication is not a bad thing. I mm -hmm. used to, I kind of used to be on the opposite side of that track because I hated mine so much, mm -hmm. but <laughs> I will forever be on this side of the track now. I, I think it's a great tool. I think you know, if you decide you want to get off of it, great. You know, if your end goal is I want to be on this for a year and I want to work my way towards meeting off, great. If you want to be on it for the next 20 years of your life, awesome. Like mm -hmm. it's it's whatever is going to help you be a a more healthy person. That's all that matters. And I, I'm grateful that they did it because I, I think like you mentioned, the, the mental stigma of um, mm -hmm. drugs or anxiety it's just shown as weakness. Yeah. As we're constantly yep. put into a state of stress, work, 
uh, life imbalance that these things just add up to a point of, well, that's just how life is. And I, I don't agree. And it was nice to essentially be put in a position where I had no choice. I was force fed Mm -hmm. the drugs and Mm -hmm. I got to experience it because if I had had the choice, I might've turned it down. Um, Right, exactly. And I I think I needed that push. I think I needed that nurse to basically say, no, take it. And um, Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. don't know that I was necessarily experiencing any major triggers, but okay, I'm gonna share something I, I haven't really shared outside of this yeah um when i i when the drugs were wearing off the the painkillers mm-hmm. and i was mm-hmm. starting to become un- lucid enough that i was aware i'm in the hospital i'm sitting up in my hospital bed i had this this it took hours but it was this slow realization of something's very very different with my body i wasn't mm-hmm. in pain um but i realized everything was so much louder than it had been before. And um, it was a sensation of realizing I could no longer hear my heartbeat, which I apparently heard 100% of the time at all times because I just, I had issues with my heart. Once that was corrected, my heart was running normal. I could hear the room next to me, the doctors down the hall, the cars outside, Mm -hmm. the AC. And I started to... um, on one hand, it felt great to realize this is how it's supposed to be. But on the other hand, it was uh, overwhelming to my senses because right. I was suddenly acutely aware of the entire world around me. And there was no like sensory fatigue. There was no um, nothing mm-hmm. pulling me out of it. And it almost became right. too much. Now, I can't remember yeah. if that's why they gave me the drugs. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that was around it the probably, same time. Yeah, if you were presenting as, yeah, if you were presenting as being overstimulated, that's a lot of what. So anxiety drugs, I mean, there's a range, but most of them are, um, most of them are like uptake drugs. So mm-hmm. it just, it prevents your body from like upticking this certain hormone. Some are inhibitors, some are uptakes. So it just, it either inhibits the uptake or it just inhibits the hormone in general. But, um, so there's different kinds, which is great because they can kind of cater it to what you're actually experiencing. So it depends on, you know, what your actual kind of symptoms and what you're telling the doctor, which is why the the first step I would say is just go see a doctor. I have always said this, like with my yoga classes too, if you don't like me, go try a different yoga instructor. Same thing with a doctor. If you don't like your doctor, go try a different doctor. (laughs) There are still enough that should be in your coverage that you can go and try a different one because it's really sad when you have a doctor that's not listening to you or that isn't wanting to work with you with what you want to try or, you know, if you've done all all this research and they don't care and they're not listening to what you've found, then I'd say go find someone else who might listen to you a little bit better. I, I definitely think it's important to um, actually reach out, even getting a second opinion, maybe not necessarily completely mm-hmm. switching doctors, but giving yourself the opportunity right. to speak to someone else and hear what they have to yes. say. That, I think that's vitally important. And yes, it, it, it can be cost prohibitive. But if you have the opportunity, definitely do it because a lot of times even just uh, getting a second opinion, you might find out, no, this is the right way or no, uh, Dr. Smith Smith, whatever his name is, uh, really didn't connect with me and I want to I want to talk to someone else and maybe they just have a different specialty. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing, too, is, you know, if, if this doctor has studied 
the bicep muscle for 20 years, they Mm -hmm. might not know something about, you know, how the hormones that specifically affect anxiety work in your brain. And that's not a negative against them. They have a really cool specialty. It's just not what you need. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm glad that whatever they gave you works and hopefully, you know, you will follow up with it if you feel like you need it. If you don't, then that's great too. But yeah, it, it can look different for every single person. Yeah. I would say the most common symptoms are heart rate and breathing. Those are the two that most, like most people, if they have anxiety or panic attacks, those are what they'll feel is the heart rate speeding up. And most people will have hyperventilation or yeah. just really labored. Yeah. Labored breathing. Well, Drew's still out on if I still need it. Um, yeah. I've only had right. one, one full attack since Mm -hmm. uh, the surgery. Uh, I haven't had a chance to go see doctors because I'm still recovering. I do want to talk to them and just say like, hey, I'd like to look into this. As far as the last time it happened, I actually did have to take a moment. I I got triggered by a dream. I think it was more just a stress of everything going on. It was my first night home from Mm -hmm. the hospital. And I Mm -hmm. woke up from this dream and my heart was pumping as hard as, uh, I I think I was at about 100%. I don't think I could have worked any harder. And I just went, right. I'm in it. Uh, I'm not dreaming anymore. Take a couple deep breaths. Your heart's going to come mm-hmm. down. And I, I was mm-hmm. not over that tipping point of absolute loss of control. And right. I, I, I felt my heart just cool. It, it felt like I had revved a, an engine and just took my mm-hmm. foot off the gas. And I felt right. in control. Yeah. And I rolled over and went back to bed. Scary dream, though. Terrifying. Right. Well, yeah, especially if it has to be if it's going to trigger that much of a reaction. But yeah, the scariest part is when you can kind of sense that you're starting to get to that point. And, you know, a lot of people, especially if it's not true seizures or something like you can, you're fully aware of what's happening still. That's Mm -hmm. the worst part is you can like logically, you know, like if I keep thinking this way, it's going to cause an anxiety attack. Or if I can't calm my heart rate down, it's going to cause an anxiety attack. And you can logically think that, but your brain is off on this totally different path. It is, it's a, it's a pretty paralyzing feeling and you feel really helpless. And a lot of people experience shame around it because Mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, because it does get talked about. Oh, you just can't handle it. I think that for a lot of people who struggle with anxiety, it's kind of your body's way of just like shutting down. Yeah. Because you're just at your limit. And so I think a big part of it is, you know, not necessarily even anxiety related. We just need to learn how to better process things and make sure we're actually processing them the way that works for us or a way that works for us because everyone processes differently. I think there's, I think the huge, because there's been a huge uptick in anxiety and depression diagnoses over the last 10 years. And I think honestly, it's because we're finally, not just telling people to shove their emotions down. Yeah. We're actually recognizing, okay, I think these and I feel these things. I should process them instead of just recognizing, I think these and I feel these, but too bad. I'm going to shove them all down and not, not ever think about it again. And now, you know, we realize and recognize that that's not the healthiest way to deal with it. And unfortunately now we have this generation that is pretty, I mean, it's, it's a pretty common diagnosis. It's, it's not, <laughs> It's not uncommon anymore. And yeah, go see a doctor, go talk to a therapist. Just don't be ashamed about it and don't wait too long because anxiety, it unfortunately doesn't go away on its own. You have to, you have to work with it 
you can't just kind of, <laughs> it's not one of those things that's really going to go away by itself. You have to put in some, some effort and some time and, you know, just take care of yourself. And, and one thing that I think comes with the stigma part of it is a lot of people mm-hmm. say things. I've heard this from many people. These didn't exist 20 years ago. And I think that's right. wrong. Our understanding yep. of it didn't exist 20 years ago. So exactly. the fact that it's diagnosed, that it's being caught is a blessing to those who are affected by it. And the opportunity to 100%. improve their lives is where modern medicine has really stepped in and helped. Um, right. It's not that it ever just appeared and it's something made up. It's always been there. We just, like you mentioned, shoved it down and pretended it wasn't there, you know, punched exactly. walls. Uh, freaked out, yep. drank ourselves into oblivion. Um, there yep. are ways to deal with it now other than just pretending there's not this problem. Uh, it'd be like the house is on fire. Well, we didn't have firefighters 20 years ago, so the house can't be on fire. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. how it is. It's just, it's yeah. harder to no, diagnose. Well, and I still, when I talk to even just a generation, you know, older than us, a lot of times they'll say like the little the little things that you're like, oh, that's not really healthy, you know, like, oh, go punch a pillow, go scream into a pillow. Like, yeah, you get, you get emotion out, but you're not processing it. Yeah. You're, you're just releasing it into oblivion, but you're not actually doing anything with it. So it's just going to come right back. Whenever that same trigger comes up, you're not going to have, it's not adding anything to your toolbox. You're just getting emotions out, which I, it's not a bad thing. You know, I'm all for screaming and crying and, you know, punching stuff if you need to, if you feel like you need that release, but realize that that's not going to be a solution. That's a release, which is very different to a solution. (laughs) Right. Houston, my husband, Houston's dad, he's a great guy, but he's definitely a very true, like sixties male, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're, you know, rub dirt in it, just all that good stuff. Right. And it's not, they're not bad sentiments. It Mm -hmm. just, doesn't necessarily apply to everything anymore so you know i don't know why you have anything to be depressed about you have a house your your parents pay for everything you you have a, a lovely boyfriend you have a good family no one's abusive to you and that's not what depression means depression right. doesn't mean that your life is terrible anxiety doesn't mean that you're just a stress ball 100 percent of the time it doesn't but a lot of people with anxiety are type a personalities who have pretty like they're pretty high functioning they're successful adults for the most part but, you know, if they don't deal with it, they could easily be knocked down a peg or two by anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you got to deal with it. You can't just keep saying that, oh, my life's great. I'm just stressed out every two days. Like, that's not <laughs> being stressed out every single day is not a normal way to live. <laughs> that usually means you have something else going on. <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel like that um, that mentality comes from people who it, it's very much a survivalist kind of hierarchy your needs are met what do you have to complain Mm -hmm. about it's like what else can you come yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. and it's well there's all these other steps that are being neglected or because of the amount of energy it takes just to hit those survival needs i'm not getting to pursue x or do y or uh, accomplish z Um, some people like you mentioned are high functioning successful people and there can be this Mm -hmm. um, stressor on them to perform, always be performing, always put the yep. smile on, always be at the top of their game. And yep. I'm I'm one of those people. Uh, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who are. And it does start exactly. to break you down if you're not getting that that vent, that release, that step back to catch your mm-hmm. breath. 
um, always being or always being told to be at 110%, which makes no sense, um, always right. pushing past your capacity is eventually right. going to wear you down, just like the engine in a car. If you're redlining it every day, the car breaks down. Same mm-hmm. for your mind, same yeah. for your body. Exactly. It's kind of a sad place that we've come to. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I think we're starting to turn the corner, which is great. Um, but I also think a lot of times when something happens like this, when this problem gets realized, a lot of times the pendulum swings like way far to the other side. And so yep. I'm expecting that to happen where I already kind of see it with like all the self-care things that are coming out. And it's like, okay. do a face mask, take a walk. And I'm like, I yeah. mean, yeah, do those things if they make you happy. But also figure out what real yeah. things you can do. Do you need to talk to a therapist? Do you need to have <laughs> you do you need to have to be put on drugs for a little bit? You know, it's not a bad thing. Do things that are actually going to be self-care, not mm-hmm. just like, oh, I did a face mask and a lot of people they use yoga as self-care, you know, they're yeah. like, "Oh, I did yoga this week." And you're like, "I mean, that's great, but are you only doing it so you can post your Instagram selfie saying yoga self-care?" Like that's not the purpose of yoga. I get really <laughs> okay. I feel a little called out right now because uh, uh, it may not be yoga, <laughs> but I I am definitely the kind of person who will use working out as my vent, my way to sort through things, and um, and that's definitely one of the things that broke me when they when the doctor's like, "I'm sorry, uh, mm-hmm. you have to stop all physical activity." And I had to negotiate to get walking in and suddenly my, my coping mechanism was ripped away. It really Mm -hmm. felt like, uh, it showed all the cracks in the foundation of my, um, mental health that I had been covering up or running from for 20 years. And suddenly I'm in this position of like, ah, shit, now I have to deal with this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's how it is for most people. And for a lot of like athletic people, that's what happens is you Mm -hmm. go through like a surgery or you go through a time where you can't work out and you're like, well, that was my only coping mechanism. Now I'm going to figure something else out. So yeah, it's, I think it'll be a good thing. I think we'll Mm -hmm. probably see that kind of severe swing and we'll probably see a bunch of people be like self-care. And I'm like, that's not really self-care. Self-care is hard work. It shouldn't be as easy as putting on a face mask and face mask and going to yoga once a week. The other thing I will say too, is like, I use working out as a coping mechanism, but a Mm -hmm. lot of times if you do the same, like if you're not actually using it as a coping mechanism anymore, it it's just a habitual thing that is no longer a coping mechanism. Well, it might be a coping mechanism, but it's not actually solving anything. (laughs) It's not working towards the problem anymore. It just becomes this thing that you're like, oh, well, I work out on Tuesdays and Thursdays because that's how I cope with my stress. A lot of my previous toolbox items became habitual. And so they stopped working as an actual tool because they became this thing that I just did. It wasn't this thing that I actually actively thought through. It was just, okay, I'm going to go take my walk around the block because I know it helps me de-stress. Mm-hmm. It does. But if all I'm doing is walking around the block and not actually thinking through any of the things that I'm stressed about, that's, I mean, yeah, at least I'm still getting a walk in, but. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're nailing it on the head. Um, I, I was the same way. And yes, working out, rock climbing, lifting, all those things were great for Mm -hmm. like cutting out the crap and taking time for me. And I really did treat it as this is my self-care. This is my time. And I was very, very selfish about it. But at some point, not that I was intending to use it that way, it really did become Mm -hmm. 
weightlifting specifically was my, the world's gone. What are my issues? What's bugging me right mm-hmm. now? And I, you know, between right. sets, whatever my rest time was, two to three minutes, mm-hmm. that would just be kind of that time to uh, disengage during the lift. And then I have two to three minutes. Think about it. What can you do to reduce the right. stress from X or how do you fix Y? And then rock climbing was kind of the same way of I, I felt like I was actually ripping apart my brain chemistry because it was problem solving. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. literally yeah. looking at a bunch of plastic on a wall or uh, back in the rare times I actually went outside, uh, <laughs> putting myself in a position of my old ways of thinking don't work, change it. Right. And that was good yeah. practice. I mean, that's pretty much all I, that's all I got. I mean, my, my like main things are if you're dealing with it or if you feel like you might be dealing with it, you know, go seek help. I am going to shift gears just so we can start yes. wrapping this up. Um Yeah. Just going through this, I want to give you an opportunity. Is there anywhere that people can find you? Or are you comfortable with that? Or I know you teach classes. Do you have anywhere that people can find you online to maybe see some of your online courses or uh, any uh, social media you'd like them to find you on? So I do not have um, like my own personal uh, like class page. Mm-hmm. I have thought about it many times and I've never pulled the trigger. So I don't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the gym that I teach at does have a mm-hmm. bunch of classes posted to their Facebook page. But if mm-hmm. people want to try out, you know, if they want to try out a yoga class or a bar class, they're still on there. Their Facebook page is called West Coast Fitness. I do believe they also have a YouTube channel. Well, I know they have a YouTube channel. I'm just not 100% sure how many videos are actually on there and which ones they put on there. But if people are local and they want to come check me out, uh, West Coast Fitness is in Portland, Oregon. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to just spend your evening with me. I know you probably have plans for tonight, but thank you for just stopping in and I'm not, chatting. I'm going to go me. teach, actually. So. Oh, there you go. Okay, so <laughs> yep. if you guys magically hear this and can get to the uh, studio before <laughs> she starts her class. Uh, Five forty-five PST. <laughs> there you go. Well, again, thank you, Lisa. I hope you have a great night. Of and course. I really appreciate you doing yeah. this. If you made it this far, thank you for taking the time to spend some of your day with me. If you enjoyed the show, a great way to show support is to simply click that subscribe button. You'll be notified every time a new episode comes out. But that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I'm James, and this is Fit for Life.